The following audio is from a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from John 16, 7-15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oops, shouldn't have done that. Uh, you notice we are in the midst of uh, a play season here in the Junior Theater. It's going to be Beauty and the Beast, so I'll be preaching from a beautiful Italian castle uh, for the next few weeks. Um, <laughs> French <laughs> castle. Uh, um, as I, my name is Justin, by the way, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be bringing you the word of God this morning, but I do need to, um, I've got a big announcement here, and it's going to be a little bit more detailed than I'm used to. Um, God has been doing something special at Sacred City, and if you've noticed over the past few weeks, we've been uh, especially kind of, especially crowded, and we have done everything we know to do. Um, Originally, when we planted this church, we were right here. There were 64 of us on our first Sunday, I think, in this room right here. 64 people in this big room. And God's added to us, and we've made a lot of babies, and we renovated a cottage, and then we made more babies, and God added to us again, and so then we renovated another cottage. And so we have two cottages down the way that are renovated. We have this space here. And we have all the parking that's kind of around us. It's not ideal, but we, have, we are feeling the pinch. Um, if you're showing up at 9.30 or 9.35, then you're probably having a difficult time finding a parking spot, at least in the last few weeks, that's been the case. Um, compared to last year, we were about 100 people more coming to Sacred City on a weekly basis than we were last year, to God's, to God's glory, right? In September, we moved, we added a new classroom and we moved some things around. We shifted some kiddos around and that worked for three weeks. And, uh, and so now we are at it. We're, we're like, okay, what are we going to do now? And we are praying and considering all the options that we have before us. But one short-term plan that we have is we think we're going to take some of our older kids and move them downstairs here if, if it's fully, it's fully, um, Uh, finished underneath us here. It's a dance studio. Uh, We used to have that as a classroom. We're probably going to move and have another classroom down here. Now, in order to do that, we need approximately 15, at least 15 more volunteers in our kids' ministry. And I know many of you volunteer. We ask 
all of our, anybody that drops ever, ever uses our kids ministry, we want you to volunteer. And we want you to be a part of, on our rotation. It should be about once every six weeks or once every five weeks, something like that. Now there's many of you in here that, that you are reaching that retirement age and you've hung it up. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there, you've done that. Don't ask me about the kids' ministry. Well, I ain't asking, but Jesus is, okay? So you want to respond to him like that? Okay, that's up to you. Uh, but I am asking some of, our, some of our older folks, I am asking that you consider volunteering in our kids' ministry once every six weeks. Um, so that we can, we, we've got a ton of kids. We've got about 100 kids every single week. 100 kids every single week that we, that we are trying to provide an environment for them to hear the gospel and our, our classrooms are packed, all right? And so if you are a member and you're not serving, I'm really gonna ask you to volunteer down there. College kids, singles, uh, volunteer, uh, it's a great opportunity for you to serve the Lord by serving some of his, uh, his children, all right? And so we need about 50, at least 15 uh, to make this happen. And we're gonna probably move into the downstairs classroom by October 20th. So that means I, we don't need you to pray about it for three weeks. Uh, <laughs> what? The Spirit's just affirmed it. It's true. It's from the Lord. Just sign up after service today. And there you go. You can have it, all right? I gave that one just for you. All right. Now, to help us make some, big, some even bigger decisions, um, we, we have got a lot of options. We could, uh, we don't have a lot of options. If you've noticed, in the Quad Cities, there are very few um, churches, church buildings big enough to fit us. We would need about 500-seat auditorium, and it's almost impossible to find. And so the, we, the options are we could rent out a, um, a, a theater type or like an uh, auditorium, like at Davenport North or something, with a lot of stipulations and a lot of difficulties would come to something like that. Uh, that's an option for us. Or, um, or really to, to, to look into a building, kind of like a warehouse space or like a, like a Hobby Lobby building, something like that to renovate. We, we don't like the, either of those options, but they are, they are on the table. And the second option, or the third option for us is to, of course, go to multiple services at Sacred City. And we are prayerfully considering that. We've been prayerfully considering that for a while. Um, we've been holding off as long as we possibly could. Um, but what, do we, what we want you to do is, I want you, this is the only time I'm ever going to say this, pull out your cell phone right now, please. Okay, please pull out your cell phone. We need you to go to sacredcitychurch.com and right there on that main page is a button um, that says survey. It says survey. It's only got six questions. We need you to go through that right now, one per family. Um, if you've got uh, singles that are living in your family, then they can do that too or they can even use your phone just when you fill out the survey, hit submit another response and hand it to them. But we don't want, basically what we're trying to find out is how many kids we have what age groups are all those kids? How often you're attending services? And then, and then here it is. What would be your preference, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m., if we go to two services or when we go to two services? Now, here's my fear. My fear is that this isn't really going to matter 
because we're all going to choose the 9 a.m. And then I'm going to, have, then we're going to have to, we're going to have to figure something else anyways. But in order for us, in order for it to be beneficial to us to go to two services, we've got to get our kids kind of equally distributed between the two services. That's the, that's the, the one of the, the major pain points for us right now. So click on the 2019 family survey button. Should take you right to the survey. Is it working? Good. And just hit submit. We should be good. I'm going to give you a minute to do that. <coughs> it's a good problem to have. I'm reminded often, but it's still a problem and it's still something that needs to be solved. And so we're working hard to try to do that to the best of our abilities. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pray and we will jump into our sermon this morning. <clears throat> Father, I do thank you uh, for these problems. We thank you for the way that you have continued to do what you said you would do. And Jesus, you specifically said that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when many churches are dying and many churches are closing their doors, you are giving us life and we don't want to take that for granted. So thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And now I, I ask that you would help me in all my weaknesses, uh, Jesus, I need you to be strong. Holy Spirit, I need you to think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords. I need you to help your people hear the voice of the Father and the voice of the Son this morning, that you would stir our affections for Jesus, that you would do in us what you've predestined to do in us today. We thank you for an opportunity to sit under the word of God, the only thing that is timeless, the only thing that never fades or never falters, the word of God that's living and active, the word of God that changes us day in and day out, week in and week out. And so we come under that authority this morning. We say, speak Holy Spirit through the word of God and through your servant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we have got a lot to wor of work to do this morning. Uh, we are nine weeks into our study on the Apostles' Creed, and today we come to the phrase, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, more than likely, you've got one of two experiences with the Holy Spirit. One, the Holy Spirit is, in the mainline denominations, the Holy Spirit has to be the most underappreciated and misunderstood member of the Trinity, in mainline denominations, they, we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about the Father and the Son, but spend very little time at all thinking or talking about the Holy Spirit. And yet, according to Scripture, we would all still be in our sins and would be totally spiritually lifeless if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Now, the other side of that issue is if you grew up in a Pentecostal-type church, you grew up knowing all about the Holy Spirit. Well, actually, I'm gonna push pause on that because I grew up in a Pentecostal church and I grew up a whole, knowing a whole lot about something that was going on that people said was the Holy Spirit, but I had a sneaking suspicion that that was just people being weird. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my sneaking suspicion was accurate. I saw the Spirit get blamed for a lot of things growing up. And most of those things you cannot find in the Bible. And so I, do, I take those things very lightly. Now, if I asked you today who you would rather spend a day with, God the Father, 
God the Son or God the Holy Spirit, who would you choose? My bet is that most of us would choose the Father or the Son. And yet from our scripture reading today, we saw that Jesus said, quote, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. Now, many translations, it's a hard word to translate. We're gonna get into that later. We call it the helper, the advocate, the comforter will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you, Jesus says. Jesus makes it very clear it was more beneficial to his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit than it was to spend another day with Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is ask and answer three really big questions. One, who is the Holy Spirit? Second, what does he do? And third, how should we relate to the Holy Spirit? Now, God help me. That's, that's a, those are big questions. And it honestly led me to say, I think in 2020, uh, in the next year, I might do a whole series just on God the Spirit. Um, because I can't handle it, I can't hit it all today. And my studies were good. Well, this question, so first off, let's go right here. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, this question itself presupposes that the Holy Spirit is first off a person. The Holy Spirit is not, now this is for you if you grew up in this Pentecostal type background, the Holy Spirit is not simply some kind of power or force or something that you can tap into like electricity. I tap into electricity and then I harness that electricity to do something. The Holy Spirit isn't something you tap into in the morning to get a little boost like your morning cup of coffee. The Holy Spirit is not goosebumps. The Holy Spirit is not even an unction. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. When we think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal power, we think, how can I get more of the Spirit so that I can you can fill in the blank so that I can use my spiritual gift, so that I can be more bold in my faith. How can I get more of the Spirit so that I can worship God in a greater way? How can I get more of the Spirit so I can be a kinder husband or a kinder wife? How can I get more of the Spirit so I can be more successful, successful in my business? How can I get more of the Spirit so I can memorize the Bible? How can I get more of the Spirit so that I can fill in the blank? The Spirit is not like the force. The Spirit is not like magic from Harry Potter. You can't learn to use it because it's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, interesting, when you study psychology, there's basically three marks of personality. There's three marks of personality. Knowledge, emotion, and will. And all three of these are, are uh, attributed to the Holy Spirit. We're gonna look at it really quick. Romans chapter eight, verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is, look, the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is, 
intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit has a mind, okay? He's got knowledge. He has intellect. That's an aspect of personhood. Secondly, emotions. We can flip over to Romans chapter 15, verses thir- verse 30. The apostle says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and look, by the love of the Spirit. By the love of the Spirit. That the Spirit, the emotion or the concept, the idea of love is attributed to the Spirit. So the Spirit loves. Ephesians 4, verse 30, attributes another emotion or feeling to the Holy Spirit. This one might be familiar to you. Verse chapter 40, or chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit can love and the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit has feelings, has emotions. Lastly, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. The scripture says this. He's talking about the Holy Spirit giving gifts to every Christian, to giving gifts to all the church. And he says in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who look apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit has a will. He distributes gifts according to his will, right? Now, most people don't appreciate the gifts they have. They want the gifts somebody else has, right? Right? They want the gifts somebody else has. I- I've never appreciated my gifts growing up. I was always frustrated at my gifts. I, I, you know, when I was in third grade, I wanted to be a basketball player. I asked my, my, you know, I was very frustrated that my mother didn't marry somebody a lot taller than my dad, right? Because I was just never destined for this, right? But the Spirit is the one who chooses, who wills what gifts that we have. So we see these three marks of personhood all attributed to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit isn't just a power, all right? It isn't just a power, it's a person. He's a person. But the Holy Spirit is not just any person. He's a divine person. The Holy Spirit is God, We see this in the structure of the creed itself. Three times we say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And it's I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. The creed itself has a Trinitarian structure. There's a section on the Father, there's a section on the Son, there's a section on the Spirit. Also, we saw a few weeks ago that Jesus was God's son, who our Lord, who what? Was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now what that means is Jesus was sent by the Father, but in order for Jesus to come to this earth, Jesus was the eternal spirit with God, in order for Jesus to become human, he had to be conceived in his mother's mother's womb, Mary, and that conception took place through the Holy Spirit. So all aspects of that is God. The Father sent, the Spirit conceived, the Son was conceived, all right? Or he was the, the first begotten of the Son of, of God, the Father. 
This affirms the Christian belief that the Holy Spirit is God alongside the Father and the Son. Now, this part is, it'll make your mind spin, right? That God is one, and yet the one God exists in three eternal persons. We call this the Trinity, Trinity or triune. Tri, three, un, one. Three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have always been together, have always been God. There is only one God and yet they, he exists in three distinct persons. Scripture attests in many different places that the Holy Spirit is God, that the Holy Spirit is divine. He has characteristics, again, that are attributed to him that are only attributed to God. First, his omniscience, which is his infinite intelligence, knowledge, and wisdom. The Holy Spirit knows everything about everything. Secondly, his omnipotence, which is his infinite power. He can do anything he wants to do. That's as long as it's in line with the Father and the Son. Third, his omnipresence, which is his existence in all places, all at the same time. Fourth, his eternality, which is his everlasting and unbreakable self-existence. He needs nothing else to exist. That's what it means to be God. So the Holy Spirit is God. He is a divine person. Now, I don't have time to go into great detail on this next point, but it's worth at least a quick overview. We can learn a lot about the Holy Spirit by studying the names given to him in the, Holy, in the scriptures. And he, the Holy Spirit shows up in the early chapters of Genesis and the Holy Spirit is literally throughout all the Bible. The Holy Spirit didn't just show up on the day of Pentecost, right? New character shows up, pops up with no backstory. That didn't happen. Holy Spirit's been there from the get-go. Now let's go through, I, I got these names listed here because there's a lot of them, okay? The Spirit is called many different things. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jehovah, the Spirit of the Lord Jehovah, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of judgment, the spirit of burning, the spirit of truth, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of life, the oil of gladness, the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory, the eternal spirit, and in our text today, the comforter or helper or advocate. Now, I'm going to break down just a couple of these. Now, it's fair to say all of those names tell us something about the Spirit, tell us something about who He is, and tell us something about what He does. And I don't have the time to go through each one of them. I wish I did. We're going to go through a few of them this morning. First, He is the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean? First off, the word holy. Holy means set apart. It's... God's divine uniqueness, that God is sacred, he's different, he's unique. It's, it's a word that really is hard to define in English because it's, it's, what make, it, it's what makes God distinct 
from us. Don't think of holiness as aloofness or stodginess or prudeness or God forbid being boring. God is anything but boring. God's holiness is his transcendence, his brilliance, his perfection, his power, all rolled up into one word. He's holy, and it should make us shudder and shout at the same time. That's what it means when we say he's holy, infinitely pure, infinitely wise. It's his godness. All of his attributes rolled up in one. We say he's holy and we are not. We should never be, to sh be ashamed of saying we're not holy enough to stand in God's presence. Next, we see that he is a spirit. Now this is kind of unique. The Hebrew and the Greek words for spirit in the Bible literally mean breath, breath, and wind. The Holy Spirit could just as easily be called the holy breath or the holy wind. We see this in the first chapters of Genesis that God makes Adam from the dust of the ground, right? And God does not say, get up, boy. Come on, right? Doesn't just give him a little food, nurture him, right? Give him a little Gatorade, come on. Smack him around. God leans down and breathes into the man, right? So man is an inanimate object. He is a creature from the earth. He's dead still, but he's there. And God breathes into him the spirit, the breath of life, and man becomes a living person. The spirit is, listen, the outbreathing of God. God's inmost life going forth in a personal way to make alive. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the inmost life of God himself to dwell in us in a personal way. Now the Spirit is also likened to the wind. You cannot see the Spirit. We can't see our own Spirit. We can't see the Holy Spirit. Just like you can't see the wind. But you can see the wind move the trees. You see the effects of the wind. You can feel the breeze upon your skin even though you don't know where it's coming from. The same is true of the Spirit. We can see the Spirit's effects. We can see Him breathing out life. We can see Him making things new. We can see the Spirit changing things. He's changing lives. The Spirit takes men and women who could care less about God and care nothing for the church and He makes them into believers who love God and love His church. The Spirit takes disinterested teenagers and turns on in them something they didn't even know was there. 
When church used to be boring and singing used to be boring, when the spirit moves in, the spirit turns something on in there and now the teenager says, oh, God isn't boring. I think maybe I'm boring or maybe the culture's boring, but God cannot be boring. That's what the spirit does. It's every time this happens, man, it's a miracle, just as much of a miracle as a blind person receiving their sight. And we can sense his presence in our gatherings. A friend of mine has been coming over the last few months. He's not yet a believer. And he he told me, I don't know what it is, but during the worship and during the preaching, I just feel something good. I said, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not a power we're tapping into. It's a person here to do work. That leads me to my second question. What does the Holy Spirit actually do? Well, from our text today, we have our text today up on the screen. I'll pull it up here. Sorry, I didn't mark this one. Chapter, John 16, verse seven. From our text today, we see that the Holy Spirit does several things. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, here we go, what's he going to do? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's the chief sin, not just what you did this weekend, but do you believe in Jesus Christ? Verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, that Jesus is the only source of righteousness that we can have. He's standing at the right hand of the Father, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, speaking of our enemy, Satan. Now what do we learn here? We learn that the Holy Spirit convicts convicts people of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Okay, that's one of the things he does. He brings conviction into our hearts. We come to the knowledge that we have sinned against God, and we need to do something about that. What else does he do? Keep reading. Verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, okay, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare, declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to, to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see that the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit also leads believers into the truth of God, the truth concerning Jesus and the truth concerning the Father, who they are and what they've done. When the gospel is preached or the scriptures are read, 
The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us and enables us to understand it. The primary way the Holy Spirit does that is through empowering and illuminating the word of God for us. Now the Holy Spirit there, it also says he glorifies Jesus and he glorifies the Father by declaring. That means to announce or disclose or to proclaim the gospel. That the Spirit is the one who makes sense of the gospel to, you, to us. Many of us come from unbelieving backgrounds and we were dismissive of the gospel. We were dismissive even of Jesus. How could they follow a God like that? You've, read, you've heard some things about the Old Testament and you just dismissed it and you're actually proud of your unbelief. You've somehow thought your unbelief was a sign of your greater intellect, right? It's kind of, a, you get that in college a little bit, just dismiss the Bible, oh, and then all of a sudden, what you disdained, what you thought was beneath you, somehow worked its way around and came inside of you and gripped you, and now you can't get away from it. Now you know it to be true. What happened there? The Holy Spirit moved on your life, moved in your life, moved through the word of God and through the gospel. The Spirit is the one who makes it real to us. Now, there's many of us that, that get nervous about this, but scriptures speak very clear. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that the spirit gives life, but the letter kills. That the word of God can actually kill us, can smother us. That's what the law does. It smothers us, it kills us because it's, so, it's, its weight is impossible for us to bear. How can we bear up under the weight of the law when the, just the 10 commandments are hard enough to obey? And Jesus makes it even harder. All you gotta do is love God above everything. Oh, that's not easy at all, right? Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does. 2 Corinthians. So 3, 6, we saw that for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Later in that chapter, verses 16 through 18, this is what the apostle says. But when one turns to the Lord, look, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now that's what I was just describing. At once you had a veil in front of your eyes. The gospel is stupid. The gospel is foolishness. What does some dead Palestinian Jew that died 2,000 years ago, what does that guy have anything to do with my life today? This is just some archaic book which a, with a bunch of rules. It's very similar to other world religions. All of these things that we think we know and that we had this air of knowledge and we had this, we looked down on the gospel and then all of a sudden, one Sunday morning or one whatever day it was, you're reading the Bible or somebody shares the gospel with you or you hear it in this and all of a sudden, it becomes real. It becomes the best news in the world to you. What happened there? The Holy Spirit removed the veil. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, now, yes, I have time. I'm just gonna say it like this. We have an idolatrous idea of freedom in our country. 
And this idea of freedom is eating our country alive right now. We think freedom is the freedom to do what we want, say what we want, be what we want with no guidelines. That has never in the history of the world been the definition of freedom. That's like the idea of freedom. You want freedom? Okay, I'm gonna drop you off in the middle of the ocean. You're completely free. Have fun. How's that gonna work out? It's not gonna work out very well. We want, now this has been, this, this version of freedom has been so pumped through our, all of our education system, all of our public schools, every show that's on television, that now in its fourth generation, it's coming to birth. Now, what do we want free of? We want free of everything. My body can't tell me who I am. My gender can't tell me who I am. My parents can't tell me who I am. The, the patriarchy can't tell me who I am. My country can't tell, nobody can tell me who I am. Well, if that's the case, then you're no one. Because I asked you, who are you? Listen to this, I have a friend in, in, in inner city Chicago right now. He got his, he's got his daughter in one of the best schools in Chicago, performing arts school. These people are coming out and, and going to Juilliard and going to all these different places. And in the school, they had this such an idea, this idea of freedom that you have to ask every single day, every child, their name and the pronoun that they want to use, okay? This is high school. And the reason you have to do it every single day is because today I might be this pronoun and tomorrow I might be that pronoun. And so they have to do it every single day. Now, growing up is hard, and high school is awful, okay? It's hard enough to think about what jeans I have to wear, what haircut I need to fit into, right? How I'm gonna try to get on the homecoming court, if that's your thing. How I'm gonna try to get on the starting team, right? How am I gonna get good grades all at the same time? How am I gonna manage my reputation and I kind of desire to be popular? How am I gonna share my faith? Oh, and now, what, who am I today? What gender am I today? Parents, because of our foolish idea of what freedom is, we've put an impossible weight on our child. They shouldn't be waking up thinking about, am I a boy? Am I a girl? Am I into boys? Am I into girls? Am I, what am I? Am I something, I don't even know, amorphous, right? Just something in between there. That kind of pressure is not meant to be put on the human soul. And children who are getting sex changes and gender changes and all these different things, 10, 20, 30 down the, years down the road, our culture is going to be in an absolute train wreck. You think the suicide rates are high right now, which they're at an all-time, I think a 20-year high or something like that. These last three years, the mortality rate in the United States has dropped. Dropped. We're, I thought we're evolving. We're the best... Culture on the face of the earth. We've got the base, best structure of, of a culture on the face of the earth. And, and, and we're, our life expectancy is going down. And add up to all of this confusion, this idea of freedom that nobody can tell me what's moral. No one can tell me what's right. Not even my own body. That is not the freedom that the scriptures talk about. When the scripture talks about freedom, it talks about living within our means, living within our bond, bounds, living within the, the structure of the world that God created. How do I know that all this gender confusion is going to create mass confusion? Because it's not real. The feelings are real. 
The feelings are real. But there is no genderless world. There is no middle gender. There's male and there's female, and that's how God created us. And so living, in a, living like it's real is like living like I live in a fairy tale. That's not going to go well for me. I went to school today and nobody threw down roses or sang, so I thought they were going to break into song. It's not the beauty and the beast. So when Paul writes where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He doesn't mean that once you get the spirit, you don't need to go to church anymore. You don't need to read the Bible anymore. You don't need to be, to, to be a member of a church anymore. You don't need to submit to eldership. That's not the idea of freedom he has in mind. I always tell, I used to tell my youth ministry when I was a pastor, you never tear down a fence. Think of all the rules God gives us. You never tear down a fence unless you know why the fence was put there. You want freedom, you go to ripping down fences and then there's two bulld, bulldogs or pit bulls staring at you. Oh, actually, that much freedom is not good for me. I should probably stay in my own yard and keep my fence up. Well, that was all extra. <laughs> Verse 16 through 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to be who God made us to be, okay? And we all, look at this. So after the veil's been removed, we all, all those who've been made alive through the spirit with unveiled face, look, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So one of the things the Spirit does as it glorifies Jesus is this whole gathering, this whole, all of our worship songs, all the sermons, all the liturgy, it's meant to do, really do one thing, and that's glorify God the Father and God the Son through God the Spirit. That's what it's meant to do. The spirit gets our eyes off of our current circumstances and it gets it up to the father and to the son. And here's the crazy thing. As your gaze gets off of your own junk, your own sin, your own problems, your own kids, your gaze gets up to the glory of God, that gaze of glory changes you from one degree of glory to the next, Right? What we gaze at, what we behold, we eventually become like. And the more we worship God and the more we keep our eyes and attention focused on him, the more like him we become. The more we think like him, the more we desire what he desires, the more we see that his way is so much better than our way. So the spirit is the one doing that. The spirit is the one taking our gaze off of our, ourselves and putting it up on God the Father and God the Son so that we can be transformed by gazing in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, the spirit is doing all this. Through the word, through the preaching, the Holy Spirit anoints me to preach the word of God. And the Holy Spirit gives you ears to hear the word of God. Listen, I am working hard on a Sunday morning. I work hard all week long, and I'm working the hardest on a Sunday morning. And you are probably working hard too, trying to hear and understand me. 
But the Holy Spirit is the real hero on a Sunday morning. He's the one working the hardest. I am a sinful man. I have many opinions and many ideas. I'm a very strong-willed personality. And the Holy Spirit is like riding a bull on Sunday morning. Okay? He said, don't say that. He's yanking the reins. Right? He's moving me this way and that way, hopefully. I, I sneak in one in occasionally. Right? <laughs> Right? The Holy Spirit is working really hard. Now listen, he's doing the same thing for you because you got grocery lists to think about. You might have something in the crock pot at home. You might have something coming over. Kids got homework. You've got things going on. And so you'd like, I like Justin preaches for a long time. I'm just gonna take a little doze here in the middle. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's like, tsh, tsh, tsh. right? Pay attention, listen up. This one's for you. See, he's the, he's the one working the hardest to get me to say the right stuff, for you to hear the right stuff so that our whole church is built up, encouraged, and changed by the power of the gospel. So when the sermon moves you to believe and worship God and worship Jesus, thank the Holy Spirit. That's where, when we get to the end of the sermon, that's where I want us to always be, thank God, thank Jesus, thank the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does so many things. He also applies the benefits of our salvation to us and he shines a big spotlight on Jesus and the Father, who they are and what they've done for us. Now, the other words that are in our text this morning, the, the Greek word there is parakletos, parakletos. You've heard, maybe if you've studied the Bible, you've heard the word paraclete. That word parakete, parakete. <laughs> <laughs> Not parakete, paraclete. We do not get our word parakeet from that. We, but it's a hard, paraclete, it's a hard word to translate. And so we translate in several different ways depending on the, the version of Bible you've got. We've got comforter, we've got helper in the ESV, and we've got the advocate. Now, this is interesting. <clears throat> um, one of the most common translations is the Holy Spirit, our comforter. We've heard that before. Have you heard that before? Now, when I think of comforter, I think what, what used to lay on my grandmama's bed. That's what I used to think of. And a big thing that's just warm and snuggly. And many times we can think, well, the Holy Spirit is, you know, the snuggle book. He's the one who, who likes to come and snuggle us, right? When we're feeling down and discouraged and, you know, they didn't, you know, whatever happened, they, they wrote the wrong name on our coffee cup that day. We, the Spirit comes along and just makes us feel better, turns our frown upside down, right? <laughs> but it's very interesting. The word helper actually meant something different. Um, and I got, a, I got a, a tapestry here up here. It's called the Bayo ta Tapestry, which depicts, and it's a big tapestry. I just wanted to see that little bit of it. But it's from the year uh, 1066 AD. And it depicts the invasion of England by William the Conqueror. And that's Bishop Odo right there riding the, whatever, it looks like a blue horse, but it's supposed to be more of a black horse. Um, and it's, it's William's brother, and he's depicted, here it is, he's depicting a prodding forward with a large spear, okay? He's either got a spear or a club. I can't really tell what that thing is, but it's some kind of weapon. And this is what it says. It says, the Latin description above it says, this is Bishop Odo comforting his troops, this is Bishop Odo comforting his troops. He's riding alongside of them with a giant weapon in his hand. And that gives us some insight into this word 
paraclete, that is translated comfort in our scripture. The English word for comfort is from the Latin word confortis, which means con, with, fortis, strength, with strength. The English word also, it sounds like encouragement, to give courage. It literally means to put courage into someone. So these men are riding into battle and he's not comforting. It's gonna be okay, it's gonna be better. No, he's comforting by riding alongside of them, giving them strength for the battle. When they feel weak, they look to their bishop next to him and he's swinging a club and he's saying, to God be the glory, let's go. And they're encouraged by that, right? That puts courage into them. That's what a paraclete is. Paraclesis is what someone whom you have called to stand alongside you in your adversity imparts to you so that you are able to keep going through the trial or the suffering or the difficulty that otherwise you would probably give up. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes into us and runs alongside of us like that and moves us and encourages us. Doesn't just comfort us like a comforter would. Charles Spurgeon says this, the Holy Spirit helps us to bear the infirmity of our body and of our mind. He helps us to bear our cross, whether it be physical pain or mental depression or spiritual conflict or slander, or poverty, or persecution. He helps our infirmity. And with the helper so divinely strong, we need not fear for the result. God's grace will be sufficient for us. His strength will be made perfect in weakness. So those are some of the things that the Holy Spirit does. He does more than that. I don't have time. But here's what the last question I want to ask this morning. What kind of relationship do you have with the Holy Spirit? First off, it must be noted that when the Spirit convicts us of our sin and our unbelief in Jesus, we must yield to him. We must not resist the Spirit. We must confess with our mouths that we are indeed sinners in need of a Savior, We must turn from our old life of sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. The Bible calls this act repentance. It's more than feeling sorry for doing wrong. It's more than admitting guilt. It's more than confessing. It's turning away from something bad and turning towards Jesus who gives us grace. So if you are resisting the spirit this morning, I'd ask you, yield to him. The Spirit works on our hearts to enable us to do that. So that when you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit dwells in your heart by faith. Did you hear that? When you are born again, the Spirit of God comes in and lives inside of you. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19 For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knee before the Father. So he's praying, he's worshiping God. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you, look, to be strengthened with power 
through his spirit in your inner being. Now, I've been saying all along, the spirit is not just power. It is not impersonal power. It is not like electricity that you tap into. The spirit is a person who when he walks into the room, he brings power with him because of who he is. Do you understand that, right? So through the spirit, Christ now dwells in your heart by faith. So that, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now there's so much beauty in all that, but this last statement just stops me in my tracks every time I read it. Look, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When you are born again, when you put your faith in Christ, God comes and lives in you through the Spirit. You are now filled with the fullness of God. That doesn't mean that you are aware of it. That doesn't mean you have acknowledged it. That doesn't mean you understand it. That doesn't mean that you're even very good. Doesn't necessarily believe when the spirit comes in. Now the spirit comes in to renovate. But many times it's a long, lifelong lifelong process. And you might, if you're born again, you have the spirit living inside of you, even though maybe you've not even felt it before. So what does it mean to have the spirit? It means that he has saved you. Now listen, here's the idea. He's a person. Just like any person, you have to get to know him, right? Just like any person, you can grieve him. You can resist him. You can ignore him. And all of those responses, if you're responding in that way, are going to affect your relationship with him. Might feel very distant. Might not sense anything at all. I said early, when we think of the Holy Spirit as a power, we think, how can I get more of the Spirit so that I can use my spiritual gifts better? That's basically trying to use the Holy Spirit for my own ends. But when we think of the Holy Spirit as he really is, a divine person who is infinitely holy, infinitely wise, infinitely mighty, and infinitely tender and infinitely intimate and infinitely close to us, our thoughts will be, how can the Holy Spirit get more of me? How can I give more of myself over to him? Instead of trying to bend him and convince him to operate on my agenda, I yield to him and I say, I want to operate on your agenda. You are wise. You know more than me. You are good. Now, the un, un, what word am I looking for here? The bad news of this is most of the time or many times this is most, the reality of the Holy Spirit being in us and ultimately being all we need 
is usually most clearly taught through suffering. I learn that the Holy Spirit is all I need when I'm walking through a crucible where it feels like the Holy Spirit is all that I have. And many times when we surround ourselves like we love to do with as many comforts as possible, we try to structure our life to maximize comfort, we are literally boxing out the Holy Spirit. I wanna live my life, we're saying like good Americans, I wanna live my life independent, free, even independent from the Holy Spirit, even free from the Spirit. And Paul says it's in our weakness where the Spirit shows up strong. R.A. Torrey said this, herein lies the whole secret of a real Christian life, a life of liberty and joy and power and fullness to have as one's ever-present friend and to be conscious that one has as his ever-present friend the Holy Spirit and to surrender one's life in all its departments entirely to his control. This is true Christian living. Christian, when was the last time you thanked the Holy Spirit for saving you? When was the last time you prayed to the Holy Spirit for wisdom, counsel, might, or understanding? When was the last time you thanked him for encouraging you to talk to someone about the gospel or encouraging you to read the scriptures or to give some of your money away? Don't think of the Spirit as a pest trying to get something from you. The Spirit is trying to help you see that what you want most is God and you need to give up more of yourself so you can have more of God. When was the last time you worshiped the Holy Spirit for what he's doing in our church? It's not an accident that we've grown by 100 people in the past year. We prayed for the Spirit to revive us. You remember that, church? We prayed for the Spirit to save people. Do you remember that, church? We prayed for radical conversions and radical baptisms. And the last few weeks, we've seen God do that in our church. We even had a radical baby dedication last week. I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> we are blessed. And if you've ever spent time in a spiritually dead church, you should know it. What we get to experience week in, week in and week out here at Sacred City is something very, very special. And we should praise God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Every time we experience an evidence of grace. Now, the reality is the Father sent the Son to live the life you couldn't live and to die the death you deserve. That's not the end of the gospel. That's not the end of the gospel. The father sends the son. The son does what he's called to do. Leaves, goes, gets glorified at the right hand of the father. And then the father and the son send the spirit to be with you now. Not just with you, in you now. Now listen, you can't get more 
of the Spirit. But you can experience more of the Spirit. You can be more aware of the Spirit's presence in your life. So if you're a Christian and you're living a life, a boring life, a dry life, a life maybe just under the letter of the Word of God, open up your eyes to the Spirit. Welcome the Spirit. Start talking in your daily life to the, not out loud, in front of people, please, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that, right? The Spirit is with you. God is with you, and He's with you in the fullness of God, in your spirit. It's it's amazing. Amazingness. If you're not a Christian, becoming a Christian isn't about following the rules. It's not about obeying a bunch of things. It's not even about becoming good. Becoming a Christian is about receiving the fullness of God in yourself. Literally, God moving into you. That's what you're asking God to do. So in every bout of depression, God is there. In every anxious thought, God is there. You don't say, God, where are you? You know where he is. He's in you and he's providing you strength and he's he's wanting you to see the hope of glory that he's walking through it. He's not gonna take everything away because he's building spiritual strength. He's building spiritual muscle in that hard time. He's in you, he's that close to you. Such good news. Such good news. Let me pray. Father, over and over and over and over, we are surprised at how you work. The sun was a great surprise. You got us on that one. It was magnificent. And yet, the sun said, I must go, and it's beneficial for us to send the Spirit. We didn't see that one coming either. And the Spirit is good. And we thank the Holy Spirit for being here in and amongst us this morning and doing work in our church. And Father, we just want this morning to to say, have more of us. Put to death the sinful nature in us, Holy Spirit. Pry open our greedy hands, Holy Spirit. Convict us of our sin, Holy Spirit. Lead us into truth, Holy Spirit. Glorify Jesus so that we can worship Jesus and the Father, Holy Spirit. Strengthen us for battle, Holy Spirit. Do all of these things for the glory of God and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.